All right. Well, we are happy to worship with you. And I, I love the part of that song that says, even if I don't see it or feel it, you're working. And the reality is that is true. And that is a great song for us to enter into a conversation about celebration. I, I often hear people say things like, well, God doesn't really work like he used to, or I can't always tell that God's doing something. And I will just say this to intro today's rhythm. I, I, if you do not see God working, it's probably because you're not practicing some or any of these rhythms. The rhythm of celebration that we're going to talk about today it really does have the power to completely transform the way you see God, the world, the people you work with, your family, your friends, yourself. And you will see God do things that you never saw before. And one of the reasons that we can you know, go to church and, and, and be baptized and we can pray and feel like God is so distant is simply because part of our gospel presentation that has come to mean the gospel for so many is not really what Jesus was talking about. So we like to pick out some verses that says something like, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Most of us probably learned, if we didn't learn that as the very first memory verse, there's probably something like Jesus wept, right? We, we learned, one of those was probably our very first verse we ever learned. And that verse is absolutely true, but it's only a piece of the puzzle. Or, or we'll, we'll say something, or we'll read a verse you know, like when Paul said, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's absolutely true. But for early believers, most people did not make a confession of faith based on those verses. Most people didn't come in and say, you know what, sounds good to me, I'm in, now what? Instead, people would make a profession of faith after they learned what it was all about. And the rhythms that we've been talking about over these last few weeks, last few months now, the rhythms we've been talking about, are this is not new. This is not some kind of, you know, modern self-help idea that you're supposed to go out and you do this, you know, particular ritual and everything works out. That is not what the rhythms are. The rhythms have been practices that followers of Jesus and those even before Jesus practiced as a way not only to grow in their faith, but to see God and to experience him more fully. Now, we've had three suppositions that we've been going through throughout this series that kind of lay the framework for how we understand all of these rhythms. The first one is this, that we are called to love God, others, and ourselves. That is the great commandment, right? That This is when Jesus was asked, what is this all really about anyways? This is what it's about. It's about loving God, loving each other, and loving ourselves. And when we begin to understand the gospel in those words, then we do see some edge to action and behavior that we take. Like if, if that's what this is all about, then how am I loving towards others, which we spent a lot of time talking about last week. There's, there's action that comes when we follow Jesus, not just belief, which is I think probably the most prevalent misunderstanding of the gospel today, that Christianity is about belief. Well, it is absolutely about belief. But belief that is truly held leads to action and change within us. And a lot of people miss that, especially kind of in Western Christianity, where we can have everything the way we want it, and we can go to whatever flavor of church or Christianity we want to go to. We have lost sight of the fact that there's, there's actually a goal for all of this. The second presupposition that we have been following throughout this series, and really, that it, it, it's really part of, of how we understand all of theology, is that we are created in God's image, and we're invited to return to the lives God created us for. We read that in Genesis. God created us in his image. And so whenever we look at somebody, even if they are unlovely, and they're mean, they're just a jerk, like, I'm not going to love them, they are born in the image of God. And so that, if anything else cannot, that can signal us that we need to love them. The third presupposition that goes with all of this 
is that when we are growing, we are going to become more like Jesus in our everyday lives. Now, that means that we can't go to church and dress up and look all pretty and then say a few, sing a few songs and memorize a couple of verses and then go out and be absolute jerks in the world. And yet we all know people just like that. And if we're honest, every one of us at some point is that person. Like I, I don't ever set out to be a jerk, but sometimes I'm an absolute jerk. I don't need any amens. Thankfully, we're online only, right? And I don't need anything from the worship band about this either, all right? We're all growing to become more like Jesus. This is one of the, the one of the emergent teaches, teachings, and this is why I, I keep bringing this up because I see it everywhere. One of the emerging teachings is that God, he exists to cause you to experience your destiny. Well, that is true if you understand what your destiny is. Most of the time that teaching is accompanied by some kind of self-focused, self-help, whatever you want. That's what God's going to bring about. You just got to trust and hope and give and do all these other things, and God's going to give you your dreams. But that's not what we're destined for. We're destined to become like Jesus. That is God's dream for us. And the reason that that doesn't sound like the, you know, the greatest thing ever is because a lot of times we don't actually see it practiced. We read in, in 1 John chapter 2, it says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, if you want to know if somebody really believes the things they talk about, just watch how they live their lives. Now, this is kind of given birth to the idea of, uh, you know, preach the gospel and use words when necessary. I mean, that's not really what the Bible says, but that sentiment is there. Show people what Jesus looks like, but you can only show it if you're living it if you're experiencing it yourselves. In Romans 8, Paul says it this way, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is what God is leading us to. This is what the rhythms lead us to. And when we talk about the pearl of great price, and we talk about the gospel, we're not just talking about heaven. We're not just talking about perfection. We're not just talking about this wonderful resort community that we get to live in eternally when we eventually die. That is not what this is about. This is about experiencing God now and becoming like Jesus now and helping other people to find this great thing. And so when you have found that is a great thing, you get excited about when you begin to change. You begin to see God more clearly. You begin to practice these rhythms. And partly, I believe, because we are made in God's image, our actions can lead us to growth. So, if you're struggling in your faith, if you're struggling in your life, with your work, your family, uh, whatever area of your life you're struggling in, probably one of the issues, if not the primary issue, is the rhythm that you're practicing or not. Whatever you're living right now is a direct result of the rhythms of your life. Whether you are going to work, and then you're going to bed, and then you're going to work, and then you're going to bed, and you're going to work, and then you're going to bed, and you're exhausted, and life seems miserable. It's because you're only practicing the rhythm of work, going to bed. A lot of times for us in America, we practice two or three, maybe three rhythms. We practice the rhythm of work, we practice the rhythm of play, and we practice the rhythm of sleep. And when work and play bleed over, the one that's going to suffer is usually sleep, which makes us tired, makes us more irritable, makes us more depressed, makes us struggle more, and we tend to enter into a downward spiral and we don't get enough rest. That's one of the reasons that we've been instructed to take a Sabbath, which is what Tracy talked about a couple of weeks ago, the need for rest. But those three rhythms, like they're not enough for you to be healthy. We say things like, all work and no play makes somebody uh, you know, unhappy or whatever. I don't even remember what the saying is. But the reality is that those are your only rhythms. Those are good rhythms, right? Like work is a good rhythm. Work is how I eat. 
That's how you eat, right? It's how I have a roof over my head. And even though I woke up this morning thinking, I love that fall is here. I I love a cold pillow. I don't know about anybody else. When I wake up in the morning, my pillow's cold. I'm like, this is a good day. I may not actually get out of bed. It, It feels really good. I love cool weather, right? But I've got to do more than just work, even though it gives me a roof over my head, even though it puts food on the table and allows me to go do some of the stuff I like to do. That is just one rhythm. And I do need to play. I do need to go have fun. You know, recreation, recreation is the process of recreation. Like we have to be, you know, recreated regularly. So we go and we play and we do that. And play is important. But whenever those are out of proportion to the rest of the rhythms, then our lives begin to look very devoid of God. And whenever we begin to say, well, I'm just not sure God's at work, probably because you're not practicing the other rhythms. Now, these are the rhythms that we've practiced. I'm not going to go through all of these. You can go back and look, look at these on our website, journeychattanooga.com, if you want to. But we started with guidance, the very rhythm that says God's going to guide me and lead me. And whenever I hear him, whether it be by reading the Bible or he speaks to me through another believer or he speaks to me through his Holy Spirit, then I'm going to obey. I'm going to do that. That's the rhythm of guidance. We talked about the need for silence and solitude. You need to get away. You need to clear all the distractions off the table so that you can focus on what is most important. For us, that is our relationship with God. We talked about the rhythm of adversity because adversity and suffering does come. And it's not that we practice adversity like, man, things are going so well. I just need something to go bad so I can grow in my faith. That's not how we approach it, but the way that we respond to adversity is a rhythm that can be super healthy. We talked about contemplation, meditation, or study, which is reading, knowing God's Word, spending time thinking about it, letting it wash over us, change the way we think, change the way we process, change the way we act. Those are important times. That's an important rhythm. We talked about the rhythm of prayer. Prayer is so important. And the way Jesus talked about prayer was like, this is just a regular part of life. This is like breathing or drinking water or eating. This is just a part of life. So many times I find Christians pray very little, except in times of exasperation. Like, I'm desperate, God. Please fix this. Please help me. Please heal me. Right? That's probably been a very common prayer throughout this last couple of years but prayer was meant to be just a regular everyday occurrence that we have with god and with each other if you're uncertain about where you are in your prayer life if i were to set you in front of someone else and say will you two pray together like there could be a couple of responses to that one could be like forget it i'm out of here because most of us don't get used to praying with other people especially not out loud or your response could be absolutely because you have found that prayer It's so powerful. That's what Scripture teaches us. And so you welcome that. And I have found prayer between two people or a group of people to be very bonding. You you develop deep relationships through the rhythm of prayer. But this is a regular part of our life. We talked about service. Christians serve. Like Christians serve. That could be a whole sermon. Christians. It was a whole sermon, actually. You can go back and watch it. Christians serve. Right? It's like if you don't serve, something's wrong. That doesn't mean that if you're not doing 15 hours at the church, you're not, you don't really believe in Jesus. That, that's not what that means. Christians serve because Jesus served. And Jesus even said, I've not come to be served, I've come to serve. Christians serve, period, in some way, in some different ways. Some people serve in ways that I think, well, that's not really service. But they look at me in the ways that I serve, and they think, well, that's not really service. And that's actually pretty beautiful because God uses us in so many different ways. Things I don't even think about. Other people are already doing. And I may not even see the value of it until they stop. And then I see, oh yeah, that was really important. Christians serve in whatever capacity that is. We talked about the rhythm of simplicity and not piling on distractions on our life. We talked about the rhythm of Sabbath and the need for rest. Last week we talked about the rhythm of love. This is the point of following Jesus is to know Him, to be forgiven for our sins, to be able to spend an eternity with Him And what do we do with all of this time that we now have? We love each other. Which means at times we're going to mess up, and so we're going to have to forgive each other. Which means when we're on top of our stuff, we're going to confess to one another. Those kind of a package rhythm. Today I'm talking about celebration. Next week we're going to close out with the rhythm of 
unity. Richard Foster says that this rhythm, the rhythm of celebration, is really the culmination of someone who is practicing all of the rhythms. You live in perpetual joy. Like this is good. You see the good in life. Right now, if you're a person who sees everything as bad, and no one would fault you for that, because we're living in a time where everything feels bad. I, if, if you're on social media, you really feel like everything is bad. And if you watch the news nonstop, you just, you're waiting to die. Because everything is always bad, right? Because bad news sells, good news doesn't. The rhythm of celebration is a rhythm that when you begin to spend time with God, whenever you're praying, you're loving others, and you're developing relationships with other people who love others, whenever you're getting away and you're rested, Whenever you don't let all of the things pile on and you live a more simple life, you begin to see that life is actually pretty good. I believe one of the, the things about being born in the image of God is when we begin to act in the ways we were created to act, it ignites something within our soul that lies dormant without Jesus. These rhythms ignite our soul, these things that are dormant, and it, it ignites us because we are made in the image of God, and we begin, to, we begin to love life. We begin to be excited about life. We begin to be excited about all kinds of things. When we begin to regularly practice these rhythms, we begin to experience more joy, and we will begin to celebrate more frequently. Now, if you're sitting there and you struggle with chronic depression or chronic anxiety or things like that, I want you to hang tight. This message is not one of those messages that's just about, you know what, just get over it and be happy. I want to speak specifically to those who struggle with chronic anxiety and depression in a minute and in light of this rhythm of celebration. So hang in there. But before we do, why is it that practicing these rhythms bring us more joy, they bring, allow us to celebrate more frequently? Well, one is because rhythms actually help the Holy Spirit move in us and change us. The gospel isn't just that if you believe and you confess, when you die, you go to heaven. The gospel is if you really believe and you have found the most important thing in life, the pearl of great price, and you want Jesus, and you know that you're broken and messed up and sinful, but Jesus died on the cross for you, and you embrace that, and you embrace the idea that the good news is that I actually get to return to the place where God created me to be. I get to be the person he wanted me to be, even if it's imperfect. I get to return to that. And once you do that, Jesus says, God will come and live within you through, through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will empower you and do these things in you. We'll pray when you can't pray. We'll speak to you when you need to hear something. We'll urge you and move you in the places that are good and caution you against things that are not good. See, that's all part of the gospel. And when we practice these rhythms, the rhythms help the Holy Spirit move in us and change us. Paul says in Galatians 5, one of the ways that this happens is through the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the work of the Spirit in our lives, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law because this is how you were created to live. There doesn't have to be a law. Like this is the way life was supposed to be before it got all messed up and sin entered it. One of the reasons these are so effective is because they help the Holy Spirit move in us and change us. Another reason that, that we, are, we are changed by the rhythms is because we are reminded of all the good things in life. God is good. He really is good. No matter how anyone paints Him, and and whenever someone paints God in a whatever way because one of his followers has acted poorly, like that's not God. That's a poorly acting follower or pseudo-follower. Or maybe they're not even actually a follower. They're just a Christian in name only. God is good. What he wants for us is good. He doesn't want to harm us. He doesn't want to hurt us. He doesn't want to make life difficult for us. He wants us to find the secret of life which is to know Him, and then to be freed from all the brokenness of this world, which is a pretty significant thing. God is good. We begin to see that life is beautiful. You don't sit around waiting to die. You don't say how horrible everything is. I, I've shared before, and 
I, there's a lot of hurt in the world, and I'm not trying to diminish the amount of hurt in the world, but I'll tell you, what, if you want to know what gets on my last nerve, it's a Christian who puts a picture of themselves crying, bemoaning that they are a victim of something. Now listen, everybody's a victim of something. Now some people are victims of way more heinous things than I'm a victim of. And their brokenness is so significant that they need others to come alongside of them and to love them. I am not trying to layer judgment or shame on a person who's been broken. But if Jesus can bring somebody back from the dead, they can heal you from your hurt. But when we perpetually present this state of brokenness that never gets any better, what we communicate to people is, God can't do anything with me, and he probably can't do anything with you either. It gets on my last nerve. I did amazing. Jesus was arrested and scourged. The flesh on his back was peeled off. He was spit on. And some of his last words was to look down at those who had done this to him and to say, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus never lived in a perpetual state of victimhood even though he was at times a victim. Why am I, why am I saying this? Our culture celebrates brokenness right now because we ignored it for so long. And we shamed people for being broken even though they didn't choose their brokenness for themselves. We've shamed it for so long, we have swung the pendulum, which is what we do in culture, we've swung the pendulum to almost glorify it now. But who wants to be broken? Now, if you're someone who doesn't feel like they have a lot of friends, and you get 50,000 likes on your picture of you crying, then you feel good, right? And it's weird that you feel good for a picture of you crying getting all so many likes. But that is kind of how our culture is. But I want you to know there's something better than that. There's something more to that. Healing is way more than valid, worth way more than validation. Now, validation is important at times. But when you begin to practice these rhythms, you begin to see life is actually pretty good. And even though we are all going to struggle, we are all going to be hurt, someone is going to hold something against us, and there will be people that will set out to hurt you. You don't have to live in that world. You can say life is beautiful, even though there's a lot of ugliness around us. We're reminded of the good things in life. God loves you. God is at work in you. You have hope. Even when we do struggle, we don't struggle as a people without hope. So, we begin to regularly practice these rhythms, begin to experience more joy, begin to celebrate more frequently. We're reminded of the good things in life. And we begin to celebrate, or celebrating goodness changes how we see our own struggles. Psalm chapter 30 verse 11 says, "You have turned for me, excuse me. You have turned for me my mourning and dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever, because God takes all our junk, all our hurt, all our pain, all the things that make us want something, some kind of validation from someone else. And he says, I can do something better for you. I can turn the worst junk into something really beautiful. He take that which were ashes and he can make them beautiful. Do we believe that? I would say, as someone who wants to see God as real, I... I, I like, rhetoric frustrates me. I get frustrated with rhetoric. Sometimes even the words that come out of my own mouth, I'm like, that just sounds like rhetoric. That frustrates I, I frustrate myself. How's that? Rhetoric frustrates me. I want to know God is real. I want to see him do things that only he can be attributed to doing. I want to know if God can raise Lazarus from the dead, if Jesus can, can walk out of the grave himself, that if I'm truly hurting inside, God can do something in me. I want to know that. 
And you know what? I think other people want to know that. A lot of times we stop believing that's possible. So we stop looking for the good things in life. And we get sucked into all the bad things in life. Selling branding goodness changes how we see our own struggles. Today I, I was I was driving to the church and one of our neighbors has a home health nurse and she was walking out of the house and getting into her car and actually had finished her shift. And there's so many layers to what I'm talking about. But I, I just thought, it just struck me that this is exactly what I'm talking about. There's so many ways to respond to this image. First response is, oh, man, I hope my neighbor's okay. Right? Like, uh, you don't aspire to have a home health nurse. No one says, you know what I want to do when I grow up? I want to have a home health nurse. Nobody says that. Like we, That's not a good sign that things are going well. But can you see good in that situation? Now, for one, one part, one, one way is my neighbor is able to financially afford a home health nurse. That's good. A home health nurse can help their suffering and pain and struggles and their spouse's need for confidence and fear that they're going to mess up the care of this person that they love more than any other person on the planet. It's good to have a home health nurse, right? They, they come and, and most that I, that I know or have heard of provide not just good medical care, they provide good like emotional care, right? They, they do so much more than just dispense medicine or there in case something goes wrong. Like they, they, they provide stability. That's good. doesn't mean the fact that there's a need for a home health nurse is good, but it's good that they're able to, to be able to afford that and to have that. And it's good for the spouse and the rest of the family to, to have confidence that their family member they love so much has good care. So that's good, right? It's also good for the, for the home health nurse, right? Because... She has a job. She can put a roof over her head. She can put food on her table. She can take care of her family. So that's mass good, isn't it? So there are ways that we can just say, oh, that's just bad. That's just everything's bad about that. But there's always ways to find good things in the bad. See, Christians who follow Jesus and practice the rhythms, they practice this rhythm of celebration that says there are good things. I'm going to celebrate the good things in life, it does not require the absence of bad things. And that's a, that's a discipline that we as Christians, we've got to learn over every other discipline at times. To demonstrate that even with the bad things in life, there are tremendously beautiful things happening all around us. But we have to have eyes to see them. We have to have ears to hear them. The, rhythm, the reason these rhythms work together to help us to be more positive, to have more joy, to see the beautiful things about life, is that what we focus on changes us. This is why Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, he says, you need to focus on good things, not bad things. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Interesting. Practice these things, and God will be with you. These practices, they're life-changing practices. They're not just a way to spend your time or a way to show God you really are serious about this so you can make it to heaven. Like These practices actually change you and bring God's peace into your life. Because what we focus on changes us. So I would ask you, what, what have you watched this week? I this week I was introduced to a new feature on Facebook called Reels. Anyone else? You guys seen this? Reels Reels is Facebook trying to take over TikTok is what it is. And so like I hadn't I'm not a TikToker. I don't even that even a word. I'm probably aging myself. You know, it's like me trying to send a twit, right? We age ourselves in different ways, right? <laughs> but I'm not a TikToker or whatever they call themselves. But you get sucked into this stuff. Like, it's like you, you watch one little 15 second, and it is the dumbest video that has ever been created ever in the history of videos. And you're like, I've got to watch another one. 
right? You've got to watch another and another. And it's so easy to swipe. And before you've known it, you've just spent an hour and a half watching nothing. All right. Well, that's my life. That's my, been my week, right? Everybody knows what the pastor does. He just sits there and swipes on uh, TikTok now. I should twit. I'm going to twit about that. I'm going to twit about that. I'll tell my twits. I'm going to twit all my twits. Yeah. And, but what have you spent your time watching? I, I learned several years ago, because I, I, I have serious radio in my car, and I used to have it you know, on the news all the time. And so I would come home and I'd flip on the news. And I would get in my car and I'd flip on the news. And I, I've discovered that it only takes 45 minutes to know everything that's going on in the whole world. Because, and that same 45 minutes of news is just recirculated all day long on, and by different people saying diff, it different ways. But really, there's only about 45 minutes of news that happens. I mean, you can go seek out some stuff, but that's really about all that's on the main news channels. But I discovered that I started feeling really bad about life and really bad about politics and really bad about my friends that thought differently from me in politics. And I discovered that I had lost the ability to have a competing opinion. And so several years ago, I turned it off. I turned off the news. I don't hardly watch anything. Now I'm probably too uninformed. But I have found that my life is way better. I love people a lot more. And I don't care who you vote for. I, I, I can love you even if you vote for somebody I don't like. But you can't do that if all you get is one opinion from your preferred news channel who tells you that every dissenting opinion is an evil person. What are you putting in to your life? A lot of the shows that are on are like, they, they are depressing. Like the message is depressing. And sometimes, you, you know, I watch these, these creative you know, shows and movies and I'm like, wow, that is so creative. I am amazed that they could create this thing. But at the same time, you have made me hate myself. You know, I hate life. I just want to die after the end of that show. What are you putting in? See, what you focus on changes you in the direction of the thing you're focusing on. So if you're always focusing on the negative, guess what? You're going to see the bad in most things. If you're going to focus on the positive, you have a lot fewer media sources for that, by the way. When you begin to focus on the positive, your life begins to become more positive. Again, I think this is one of the re ways that we demonstrate the image of God and why he says, focus on the things that are good. The reality is, is we tend to focus on the things that are bad. Every one of us. I'm terrible about this. You know, I, I have a tendency to hone in on the one bad thing that happened and like none of the good things happened in the day. I don't know if anybody else is like that, but I'm like that. Like Deidre will sometimes say to me, yeah, but this was good and this was good and this was good. And I was like, yeah, but yeah, but this one thing was way worse than those things were good. And it wasn't. But I have found I'm not alone. We gravitate towards the negative. There's a reason our news channels focus on bad news, not good news. Because good news doesn't sell like bad news does. There's a reason our culture focuses on bad news shows. Lots of victims will say, this is a horrible thing, and then we'll dramatize and glorify it and get ratings because we still like to watch it. What we focus on changes us. We have a tendency to focus on all the negative things. We, you gotta, you got to turn that stuff off. And it's not that we ignore that bad things happen. It's just we don't spend our time focused on them because when we focus on all the bad things, we never see the good things. We begin to focus on what is positive. We begin to, that's where we find solutions, not just swim in all the problems. That's when we begin to love other people, not just Judge them because they're different from us. Focus on what is good. We have a tendency to focus on what is negative. Deidre shared with me yesterday, you know, I, I, I didn't even remember this verse. And she was like, hey, I read this thing, and I just thought it was so funny. I was like, I'm using that Sunday. So I give Deidre credit for this. It comes from Ecclesiastes 7. We read Ecclesiastes 8 a couple of weeks ago. So, hey, we're using Ecclesiastes. But I, I know every generation has this, 
this mindset of, I don't know why that was funny. Was that funny? He's laughing now. I'm just, anyways. All right. If you're not here in person, this is why being in person is so much better than being online, right? Because we have so much crazy stuff that goes on here. Um, Every generation will say something to the effect of, we miss the good old days. Like every, like everyone had it easier back then. See, people were happy, things were easier. I, I mean, we just we just missed the good old days. They were simple and they were all good. Well, they weren't simple and they weren't all good. You just forgot all the bad stuff. There's Ecclesiastes seven ten says, "Say not, why were the former days better than these?" For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. In other words, it's not really smart to say, you know what, we miss the old days. Jesus has never been about living in the past. He's always been about where do we go from here. He's always drawing you somewhere, taking you somewhere. If you're stuck, whether it's old hurt, whether it's old victimhood, listen, Jesus wants to take you somewhere from He doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to take you somewhere. If you've not been a victim and you've not been hurt, And, you know, you've had a pretty good life. Understand where you are right now is not where Jesus wants you to stay. He wants you to keep going. Jesus is always drawing you to something more, always drawing you to something better. The the rhythm of celebration opens our eyes to the good things that God is doing and says, wow, I'm so excited to be alive because look what God is doing in me and all around me, and this is amazing. And if I were to ask you to think of your most positive friend, and I would ask you who is your most negative friend, now which one do you want to go spend time with? Well, I don't know who you would choose. But eventually we're going to say, I need the positive friend. I need someone who's going to encourage me and lift me up, not someone who's going to say, uh, you know, Eeyore, I think it's going to rain today. But a lot of times we Christians do that. And it frustrates me because we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have Jesus who died on the cross for us. Who says, I'm going to work a miracle in you and I'm going to make you into something. And we love to be stuck. That is not what he's called us to. The rhythm of celebration says, you know what? In my time of silence and solitude, I experienced God in a way that just made me so excited to embrace the day. I've been practicing the rhythm of prayer, and even though God didn't answer that prayer exactly the way I had hoped, I saw God do something even better. It's amazing. God is so good when he does stuff like that. I'm over here, I'm just loving people, and you know what? Sometimes people take it, and they step on it, and they just they could care less that I'm over here trying to love them. But I keep finding these people that, that they love doing that too, and they have become my most precious friends. I love spending time with them. I can't even love them enough. They just love me so much more. You begin to get excited about life. You begin to think, wow, life is good. God is good. And while we want God to just, you know, show up like Thor coming down the rainbow bridge or whatever, and here's God, I'm fixing your problem. So many times the way God works is through just these quiet practices that begin to change us. It's lazy of us to say, God, come and fix this, when he says, I've given you everything you need to fix this. Jesus eventually would tell those people that would only come to see him when he would perform a miracle, he eventually said no. Because you will never see enough. If you you can't believe without a sign, you're not going to believe with more signs. God wants to change us. This is what the rhythms do. They make us into something better. All right, I got to wrap up here. But I don't want to wrap up before I talk about what about those who really do struggle with anxiety, depression, and just ongoing grief? Because those are real things that real people struggle with. And it is a Pollyanna uh, sermon to say, well, you should just get over it. You know, sometimes you can't just get over it. And I want to acknowledge that. And I want to acknowledge that the rhythm of celebration is not one that just all of a sudden says, oh, I have no more problems anymore. You do have problems. One of the rhythms is responding to adversity. You are going to suffer. Sometimes God invites us into suffering because that changes the way we see things, and nothing else does. What if that is where you are? What if that is where you live? 
Let me give you just let me just give you some tips. There's no way for me to make it all better or, or give you that secret little piece of advice that just unlocks all your anxiety, but there are some things that can help. Number one, you have to understand the nature of your struggle. Is this medical or situational? Now, a lot of pastors will not talk about the medical side of things. But there are medical issues that cause anxiety. Amazingly, anxiety is very much a physical response to circumstance. Your heart stops beating faster. Adrenaline starts pumping more. You might get a little shaky. Blood pressure goes up. You feel all those things, and it adds to this impending sense of doom within your life. Sometimes that's medical. And sometimes there's a, there's a medicinal option for that because our bodies sometimes betray us. And we can absolutely pray that God will take away medical causes of anxiety. We should pray for that. And God absolutely can remove those things. But I will give you some cautions on that. Number one, Paul prayed repeatedly for God to remove his thorn, and he didn't. I went to seminary with a guy who went to a church who said, if you'll just have faith, you don't need medicine. He had, he had type 1 diabetes. He, he only lived because of the insulin that he took. And so they convinced him that he should stop taking his insulin because God's got this. And he stopped. And he died two months later. And you could say, well, God must have wanted him to die. Oh, that is such a lazy answer. That is such a lazy answer. Listen, there are some times that God has given us the ability to discover medicinal cures for a reason, and we should take them. If your anxiety is medical, praying is good, but you may need to see a doctor. Now, there's a in, in the church, for some reason, not for some, I know the reason, in the church, we have a tendency to shame people that need physical help dealing with anxiety and depression. There should be no shame in that. If you need it, go, and it will help you practice all the other rhythms better. Now, any reputable physician is going to ask you lots of questions like, okay, is this situational? What other healthy things are you doing? Because even our physicians recognize the rhythms of your life. They may not talk about the rhythms we are, but do you have a support group? Do you have somebody you're talking about these issues with? Are you eating a healthy diet? Are you getting enough sleep? They're going to ask about the other rhythms in your life that can contribute to that before they just give you a pill. But there are times that you do need medical help. And if that's the case, you should not feel shame over that. Most of the time, it's situational. And we have a way to respond to that. But if it's medical, seek medical attention. And move on with your life. So, understand the nature of your struggle. Is it medical um, or is it situational? Jesus hasn't called you to have crushing anxiety within your life. He says, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He has not said, come, follow me, the pearl of great price, and I will make you hate your life. That is not the gospel. Understand the nature of your struggle. The second thing is this, which rhythms are you practicing? And which rhythms are you not? We're calling these rhythms because this is a rhythm of life. It's kind of what we do. I, I'm not going to create a checklist for the number of times I pray in a day, but I'm going to spend time every day in prayer. It's a rhythm. Maybe a day I didn't pray, but the next day I will. It's just a rhythm. The more you practice rhythms, the more natural it becomes to follow those rhythms. I don't ever think about, oh, I need to go pray. I mean, I, I, it's just a regular part of my day. I just do it whenever. Same with silence and solitude. You may have to plan some time to be for silence and solitude, but once you develop that rhythm, you're going to miss it when you're not doing it, and you're going to return. Same with all of the rhythms. Same with the Sabbath. You, you end up working two weeks straight with no time off. Like you miss a Sabbath. You're going to miss it. You're going to return to that rhythm. Which rhythms are you practicing? Which rhythms are you not? Third thing, if you struggle with anxiety, depression, and ongoing grief. What are you feeding your soul with? This is really what, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Negativity in, negativity out. Positivity in, positivity out. 
it's it's interesting. There's a there's a whole subsection of Christianity now that's about positive thinking, and the crazy thing is, is it actually works. Like you can't just I I'm just really thinking about the Lamborghini that's sitting in my parking spot out there instead of my 10-year-old SUV that's sitting out there. I'm thinking it. I'm being positive. It's going to be there. Bang, it's there. Now, that's craziness. That's crazy talk. But there is, there is so much evidence that where our mind goes is where our life goes. Positivity takes us to good places. Negative ticket. Negativity takes us to negative places. We have to deal with the negative in life, even followers of Jesus. One of the problems is sometimes we ignore the negative things in life. We ignore the oppressed. We ignore the hurting. Jesus never ignored the negative things in life, but he didn't live there. He moved somewhere better. Rachel Hollis wrote a book that you may have read called Girl, Wash Your Face written primarily to women, but it's anyone can read it. Um, just talking about being positive and being encouraged and get a, pick yourself up and live a good life. She says this in her book. She says, I surround myself with positivity. I cringe even writing that because it sounds like a poster you'd see taped to the wall of your eighth grade gym class. But cheesy or not, it's gospel. You become who you surround yourself with. You become what you consume. If you find yourself in a slump or feel as though you're living in a negative space, take a good look at who and what you see every day. That's good advice. And that's exactly what Paul said. Think on the good things. Focus on the things that are good. So ask yourself, if you're constantly dealing with soul-crushing anxiety, what are you feeding your soul with? If you're scared to death about COVID, stop researching it. Stop watching every number. Don't don't check the CDC website every five minutes. Listen, you you ask anyone who's been through a a health issue, and the very worst thing they can do is go research it. Because you, you could be as healthy as a horse and be convinced you're dying once you begin to try to start looking at all the possible things that could happen. If you get COVID, then there's help for you. And you can take precautions. That's why we're doing online only today. And don't focus on it. Don't focus on the things that make you fear. Like if it happens, it happens. And God's there for those moments. And so are your Christian friends and family. Move on. Positive. Fourth thing is this, and this is going to be important for those who really do struggle with grief is that celebration is a choice. It's not just spontaneous. Like you you choose to celebrate. Celebration is a choice that will begin to change the way you see your circumstances, which will change the way you react to your circumstances, which will usually change your circumstances. But it is a choice. It's like love is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. Confession is a choice. Worship and celebration is a choice that we make. A friend of mine introduced me to a term I hadn't heard before, but I knew exactly what he meant when he said it. He said, I struggle with catastrophizing. I don't even think that's a word, to be honest. But you know exactly what it means. Because we do it. We take our minds down a negative place, and we, we don't think about what could happen. We are certain the very worst thing that could possibly happen is going to happen. Catastrophizing. We've got to choose not to do that. Peter and I were having a conversation about this yesterday. The, the reality is, is that you, when it, you know when we struggle the most, both of us, Deidre and I, probably you too, you know when we struggle the most with anxiety and fear and discouragement and depression and all those things, it's when we wake up at 3 in the morning and we're laying there and then some thought comes in our minds and your brain isn't really equipped to process it at 3 in the morning. And all of a sudden, it's gone. And like all the very worst-case scenarios come to mind. And then your body starts reacting, and your heart starts beating, and adrenaline starts pumping, and you have this physical response. And now you're like, oh, man, life is terrible. And eventually you fall asleep and you wake up, and you're like, oh, it's not that bad. 
That's why rest is so important, by the way. So important in dealing with anxiety. Catastrophizing. We used to call it stinking thinking. Celebration is a choice. Here's what I want to leave you with. If you want to develop a rhythm of celebration, and this is not just positivity, by the way. This is worship. This is finding the good things and celebrating the good things. And there is no better thing than God. When we come and we worship together as a people, listen, I for years had the wrong impression of worship. I, I came to enjoy it and feel good during the worship time. But worship is about what we're giving, not what we're receiving. The consumer mindset of worship is killed worship for many of us. Yeah, I don't like that worship. Like, that's not even a thing. Like, yeah, I don't like that worship. That's like saying, you know what? I, I don't even like that you're positive. I don't even like that thing. You know, like worship is, uh, this is good. I want to talk about what's good. There is no better thing than God. So when we come together to worship, listen, that's, when we're singing, it's not about like, oh, I love that song. You know, that riff in that song is so cool. It just gets me. Oh, I love when that bass comes through and my heart starts pumping with it. feels so good. Man, worship was good today. That's not worship. Like if you can get that at a concert that has nothing to do with God, it's not worship. It's what we give to God. This is an aid. Everything that happens on the stage is an aid for worship. It is not the actual worship. Worship comes when we recognize God is good. And God, when I see things like, even when I can't see you, I know you're working. Even when I can't feel you, I know you're working. There is a difference in saying the words in a catchy tune than being able to look and and say to God, God, oh, you're working even when I don't feel it. But if you want to develop the rhythm of celebration, I've given you lots of ideas along the way, but let me give you these very succinct ones really quickly and we're done. Recognize that celebration of worship is a discipline. It is not just a feeling. Just like loving people is not just a feeling. It's a choice. We choose to do loving things, right? We choose to love people. We choose to see the best in people. Celebration worship is a discipline. Paul says in Romans 12, he says it like this, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which is what these rhythms do, by the way. We're trying to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It is a discipline it is a choice and if it's something that you're not practicing you can practice it just start recognize it's a discipline remember that god is good no matter what anyone else says god is good remember that life is good i don't know if i have to give royalties to that company by the way but life is good even when life is bad, life is good. I mean, if you have a home health nurse, you have a home health nurse. And you're alive. Life is good. Even when everyone says life is bad, don't believe them. Life is not as bad as everyone's telling you. Life is good. Remember that life is good. Remember that God has you and is is as involved in your life as you want Him to be. He sees you. This is what makes Christianity so unique, is that God sees us. And it's not about us trying to gain His favor. We have His favor. It's about experiencing Him fully, and He wants to work within our lives. And this is, gosh, crucial. Like if there was one, like you need to start. You don't even know where to start yet. This is where you can start. Focus on as much good as you possibly can, and you will find even more good. Focus on as much bad as you can find, and guess what? You will find even more bad. Focus on what is good as much as you possibly can, and you will find even more good. And the last thing is this, and this is for us, kind of, I don't know, ironic, 
that we're online only today, but gather and worship regularly with others that practice celebration. If you have a bunch of friends and when you get together, they are always pointing out all the bad things in life. You need new friends. It doesn't mean you don't you you can't love them. It doesn't mean you can't, you know, still spend time with them. But that's not who your people need to be, right? Find people that will encourage you, that will celebrate life too. Gather. That's what the church is supposed to be. Whenever we come in and we start shaming people left and right, like that's not what our time together is supposed to be. We're supposed to encourage. You remember, you, you remember what encourage means, right? I take some of my courage and I give it to you. That's what encourage means. That should be what we do when we come together. It doesn't mean that we don't have times of accountability or times that we've got to have hard conversations about something that's not going well. But when we come together, we come together to mutually encourage and love one another. I find it fascinating that when Jesus says people are going to know you for your love for one another, what he didn't say, but what I think he was trying to say was, that's going to draw people way more than your understanding of a sacred text. I don't think people really care how much of the Bible we really know if we don't love them. Because clearly we don't know that much about it if we aren't loving people. Because that's what it's all about. The rhythm of celebration, it is so crucial because, oh my goodness, it changes everything. And even if the power of positive thinking can't actually change a rain cloud into something else, you know what it can do? It can change you. We have nothing more positive. We, the people of God, have nothing more positive to gain than the God who created it all, who gave his son on a cross for us to say, I want to do life with you. I am with you. I love you. I'm creating a place for you. You're going to be with me forever. I'm involved in your life. And we don't have to prove our worth to him. Most religions, you have to prove your worth. We don't have to prove our worth to him. Our worth is the fact that we were created in his image and he has chosen to love us. We get to come together. When we gather together, we worship together. We've taken a big hit on that throughout the pandemic. And I'm hopeful that that time is over, that we can regather. If you're nervous about regathering, I understand. But if you're staying away and you're not gathering because it's just comfortable, you're losing out. We're losing out. Like you add to our lives. We add to your life. We need each other. Let that be what we do when we come together. All right? Whew! I feel like i got a lot more to say, but I'm going to quit. This is so crucial. This is so important. Um, I hope you'll go and listen to this again. And I, I more hope that you'll just practice this if you aren't already. Next week we close out our series on the rhythm of unity. And... It also is a culmination of all the rhythms because we can't be unified if we're not loving one another, if we're not going in the same direction. I mean, unity is so crucial. The church has been so bad at it for a really long time. But there are there's a lot of signs of hope that we are unified moving forward as the church, you know, big C, like the church of people all around the world throughout all the ages. Like we are all united in one church. What does it look like for us to live that out? We'll talk about that next week. Let me pray with you. And I will say this too, if you are one of those that struggle with chronic um, anxiety, depression, or you're grieving something, some scenario or something that's happened and you can't let it go, I want to talk to you. Sometimes we do need help to get through those things. You don't have to go through that alone. I hope that you'll reach out and, and, and if not me, I've got a, a lot of really great counselors in the in the area that are great for, for talking with. Don't suffer alone in the corner. Certainly don't celebrate. But don't suffer in silence either. Father, I pray for those that are struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression. Christians today, that there's not even a circumstance they can point to, but they just feel like life is bad and, and life is going in the wrong direction. God, you... You weep with them. You put your arms around them, even if they can't feel it or see it. God, I pray that they would have freedom from just the chains of anxiety. I pray that you would give them hope and birth within them, a new expectation for good things that you are doing, things that they don't even see, 
yet you are actively working in their favor. Father, I pray that you would hear our worship, you would hear our celebration, because you are good. There is nothing in this life that is better. You have called us to be your family. I pray that if we are just inundated with negativity, our God, you will change our hearts. Convict us of that. If we are purveyors of negativity, convict us and let us change that. Father, I pray that we would be a people that draw others because life is good. Help us us live that reality out within our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.